You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday edition of Locked On Indians podcast. Got some great feedback. It seemed that people liked yesterday's pod, uh, doing something a little different, looking at some numbers and some financial stuff. Um, so, yeah, we'll continue to look for ways to keep the podcast fresh and original. Uh, had some more fun Portland talk. Uh, through my mentions and you know that there's Oregon's a surprisingly strong market for this podcast and for the active members of the podcast so that was kind of fun so on today's show we will uh, we're going to talk a little bit about tv contracts yet again we're going to talk about Emmanuel Classe we're going to talk about contenders in the AL and their injury issues and then we'll hopefully bounce around to some all-time Indians talk so let's lead off by going back to the TV well. So it was kind of announced today that YouTube uh, TV is losing their Sinclair broadcast group rights. Now they own all the Fox broadcast networks. And this seems to be a real uh, point for Sinclair because they've kind of taken themselves off of Dish and Sling and all these streaming services. They're trying to say that, you know, if you are a fan of a team that has a Fox Sports as their home, uh, you have to keep your cord. If you cut your cord, you're not going to be able to watch them, which, I mean, for a lot of people, it's the only reason why uh, they still bother to have cable. It's it's such a fear, and it's really interesting because when you think about the grand scheme of things, um, yeah, TV has become so ingrained, but it's the, the just like everything else in this country, things change, things advance, new things come in. This is pretty much the way of things. You know, if, if something has a shelf life of use of 100 years, it did pretty well. And that's kind of the thing with television. This totally stinks. And what this is really going to do, um, it's not going to push people to, re, uh, to tape up their cords and come back. It's going to push more people to pirating. That's just really what this will do. People who already have cut their cords and have no interest, because the other problem really at the end of the day having paid for these services and having also known how to get streams is you get better quality from the stream than you ever do from MLB TV. Um, You know, I I currently live in the Milwaukee area, when I lived in the New York area, there'd be often points in time where my MLB TV stream of the Indians did not work, did not function, I could not use it, but the internet had better sources. Uh, Same thing when I've tried to stream NBA stuff. For whatever reason, the infrastructure for streaming for the major places is terrible, and these small people on the internet can do a better job, and that still seems to be the case. And like I said, I think it's getting easier and easier to find those streams, and this is just pushing it to the point where um, Sinclair is going to get less eyes on their product overall than they would have if they had just figured a way to get this to happen. So really, uh, their big loss more than anything else. Emmanuel Classe. The centerpiece of the Kluber deal has a Terrace major strain in his back. This is what uh, sidelined Mike Clevenger for more than two months last year. He went on the injured list on April 9th, didn't come back till June 17th. Uh, so that means that Class A isn't breaking camp with the Indians. He is not going to be with this team when they start the season. Uh, even if he came back in on the exact same timeline as Clevenger, you're looking at a guy who's coming. You know, it, it's pretty much the beginning of March, so we'd go through all of March, all of April, 
you're you're hoping like towards mid to end of May. Um, which, if you're the Indians, that might be beneficial. You're you're gonna. Then again, I don't know. Being on the forty, being on the IL probably still counts towards service time, right? And this is where you know. I know the game, but I don't know the intricacies of the game. I know things about players. I can scout things and do that. But uh, this is where I'm, uh, you know, I'll leave it to you guys. I'm sure someone out there knows the ins and outs and will love to tell me what it is. But hard news. Uh, Third pitcher to go down uh, since camp has started. Some of the more exciting arms, honestly, at this point uh, with injuries. And, yeah, it's it's cruddy. So who does this open the door for is probably the bigger question. I would look at those guys at the back end of your 40. Um, you know, maybe Hunter Wood or Phil Mayton. Uh, Nick Hoyt. No, not Nick Hoyt. James Hoyt. Because they... they obvi- Such a weird case where they cut him and then brought him back for more money. Um, and then cut other players after i i don't understand what they did (laughs) the logic in there is still weird to me um so yeah he's uh class is down certainly makes the pen a lot weaker because when you really look at the pen there were three big arms you're looking at the back with hand class a and karen chalk and you're losing a third of that so that's extremely unfortunate and We'll have to see how health holds out for him uh, going forward. Speaking of health, quick talk around the league. Los Angeles's Griffin Canning undergoing an MRI on his right elbow. Griffin Canning fell to the second round uh, in 2017 because there were concerns about his ability to hold up and about his, I believe it was his elbow at the time. Uh, he made the Angels look very smart. They drafted him. He moved very quickly, but he had inflammation in his elbow last year. And that led him to uh, to kind of be shut down early. This isn't good. He's had multiple issues with this elbow. It feels like there is a good chance this could be something more serious. You know, they went out in free agency and added Julio Tehran, and he's having a hamstring issue. We'll see how he works through that. But this is a team that uh, did not have pitching depth to begin with, struck out on the free agent market. I mean, Julio Tehran is their big free agent addition. Their biggest pitching addition, arguably Dylan Bundy, they went out and added Rendon, and that was a, a big get for them. They gave up a top prospect to get rid of Zach Cosart in his contract, and then their owner got annoyed, so they didn't complete a deal that would have helped their team at a relatively cheap price. Like, Artie Moreno uh, better be running back and being like, please, yeah, please, let's let's do that deal. We need They need stripling bad at this point. Um, he looks foolish if that deal doesn't come back together. Like, that deal needs to come back together. Who do the Angels end up trotting out as a rotation? Uh, you know, it, we got Bundy. I, you can't count on Otani. He didn't pitch all of last year. Like, he's not going to be... You're, they almost need to run a six-man with him. Uh, Patrick Sandoval is probably a reliever. Jamie Berea is okay. Dylan Peters. I mean, the Indians just beat him up a year ago. Uh I mean, Tehran, Tehran, you're kind of hoping will come back and be league average and it won't knock him out for long. You go over to um, roster resources. Julio Tehran is currently projected as their number one pitcher. Then you got Andrew Haney, who's been a productive lefty. Dylan Bundy, Patrick Sandoval, and Jose Suarez. I really like Suarez's numbers coming to last year, but boy, it was not pretty in the majors. And Sandoval, to me, is just a reliever all the way. He could excel in that role and be very good. It is interesting that three-fifths of their staff would be lefties. But the, this is 
this is an issue. Um, they don't have a lot of great pitching depth. They have more guys down. Um, I'm trying to think if they even have any great pitchers in their upper minors. Not even great. You know, the the Jamie Perea, the Dylan Peters. Uh, man, Luis Gozar, Gohara is there now. Uh, JC Ramirez. A lot of kind of retreads. Jake Thompson, remember when he was a big piece in like two separate trades? Uh, not guys you want to count on. Um, yeah, the Angels need pitching badly. Uh, there's still a world where the Indians, you know, we talked about the Yankees could use another starter. Remember, the uh, the just to hit back to the Angels, the Angels are also in a situation where they, uh, someone was uh, kind of beat up, yes, uh, Brandon Marsh, that he's going to miss time, their number two prospect in their system, who is rumored to be part of the Kluber deal. So, yeah, this is a team, you know, I, I think the Indians would be intrigued by Jared Walsh, the first baseman corner outfielder who's also a pitcher. Um, could be a lesser deal involving someone like him. You know, maybe the Indians love to buy guys cheaply. Someone like Jemai Jones, who's definitely stock arrow has been pointing down, but he's always struck me as an Indians type of guy. Uh, guys like that, you know, maybe a lesser deal for a lesser arm, uh, depending on how things shake out this year. Uh, Kyron Paris, who they took last year in the second round, who, you know, everyone kind of projected to the Indians because young for the class, like he fit the profile, California kid. There, there's definitely some pieces there that would make sense um, for the Indians if the Angels get desperate. And again, like, uh, you know, people got... Angels fans came out, and normally I get along great with Angels fans, but when I kind of made fun of their rotation, because they told me if they got Garrett Cole after getting Bundy, it'd be one of the best in baseball. I'm like, Bundy's not good. He's not bad. He's not good. He's an average starter. Like, this is a team with, like, five average starters. And Shea is, again... How much can you count on a guy who missed all of last year to be, a, you know, an everyday pitcher? It's going to be something to check out with him. Uh, we'll see, but I, I think he's going to be limited. Uh, so, yeah, uh, basically, end of the day, the Angels right now need to stop and get that stripling deal done now. After that break, it's now uh, time for some all-time Indians talk, and we're going to handle shortstop today. I've kind of talked about before that when you get down to it for the Indians, uh, center field is probably the best position in team history. Second base is, I would put next, and third base is third. Kind of funny how that worked. Uh, But those are the other three positions before getting to pitching. And shortstop is nice in the regard that there really is a clear top five. I know I I sent out a tweet that, oh, Omar almost didn't make it. Well, that's that's not true. Um, You know, if you're looking down the list just of of all-time career war among Shortstops for the Cleveland Indians. Um, you know, Astrubal Cabrera would merit a mention being in the top 50. But there's not too many guys beyond that. Uh, I mean, I'd have to pull up some players. Johnny Peralta is someone else who's in the top 50. And I do want to give a special shout-out to Frank Duffy, who, uh, when you're going through the Indians' single-season defensive uh, war values, by baseball reference, uh, Lou Boudreau comes up three times Frank Duffy comes up I believe three times and Francisco Lindor even comes up before we get to one Omar season now when you look at all time defensive value uh, for a career in Cleveland it helps that you know uh, Omar played as long as he did but he is fourth all time .3 ahead of Frank Duffy so Frank Duffy uh, when I was digging into him pretty atrocious with the bat um you know, you're looking at a guy who 
uh, would walk under 30 times a season, be lucky if he hit five home runs and hit uh, anywhere between 200 to 240, but was a really good defender. I, I was not super def- familiar with Frank Duffy uh, being born in the 80s, but uh, let's give him some love for you people who struggled through those 70s Indians. He was probably someone that you appreciated because he did do something well. Um, so that that's someone you definitely need to, to just look at and give that moment or two. Um, the other guy who kind of came up was, was Woody Held, who was played a ton of positions throughout his career. And when he was in Cleveland, he was mostly a shortstop. And that was in the, I mean, he played all over. I think that was in the 60s. Uh, and Indians had him from 58 to 64. Got him for his peak years. And... Know, some good years of performance in there for him in Cleveland. So he's kind of the other guy to give a mention to. We, we've gone through, so let's let's talk the top five. It, it's a pretty easy list. Omar Vizquel is fifth. Um, he's currently fourth amongst... No, I'm sorry. He's third amongst shortstops in career war, but I, I think he's fifth on this list. Uh, if Francisco Lindor stayed in Cleveland as long as, as, uh, as Vizquel, he'd be higher. But Omar Vizquel... Uh, not a good hitter at all when he came to Cleveland. Worked a lot. Became a, a solid offensive performer. Uh, known for the glove. Probably a little overrated defensively due to the flash, if we're all being honest. Um, I won't get into the Hall of Fame stuff. Because that's just going to cause me to, to lose people uh, no matter what side I land on. But uh, Vizcal, fifth best shortstop in team history. Um, fourth, I would... This is where it kind of gets a little sticky. It is interesting. I think I may have said this, that amongst, you know, five of the top 20 players in career Indians war are shortstops. Um, Fourth, at this point, I'm probably going to say Ray Chapman. Uh, Tragic, tragic situation where, you know, he died on the the field, uh, struck in the head, kind of wanted to, some of the reasons that uh, batting helmets were introduced. OPS plus of, of 11 for his career, a 29.1 career war. He was a good shortstop. Walked 84 times in 1918. Um, made good average. Uh, made good average. Wow. Career 270 hitter. Uh, solid defender. Played all over. Uh, 29 years of age when he died. So one of those guys that... There was talk he would retire at the end of the year. I was reading his wiki because he had just gotten married and he was going to help with his family business of, of his wife. But, uh, he, you know, unfortunately, one of the dark, maybe the worst thing that's happened on a baseball field occurred when uh, Ray Chapman died. So he is, I'm putting him at four. Uh, chance he could have been higher. Uh, era, he was just a fantastic player. What is kind of just an interesting coda on that is that when he got hurt, the guy who replaced him... Um, is the number two shortstop on this list. Number three, Francisco Lindor. The highs have been pretty spectacular. Um, but when you're just looking at like the single season stuff, I mean, defensively, he has the ninth best uh, single season defensive war of any Indians. Frank Duffy and our number one player are ahead of him. The only other players ahead of him, uh, Craig Nettles, Terry Turner, and Nap Lajoie. Pretty elite group. Uh, Lindor's offensive peak seasons uh, have been quite good. He's not quite hit that upper echelon. He's uh, tied for 37th with Earl Everill and Tris Speaker. 
but uh, obviously very good, uh, excellent top shelf type of player. And uh, for him being third at this point is just a matter of it's going to be a shorter career in Cleveland, and he's got a pair of Hall of Famers above him, uh, which also makes it difficult. So there's two really excellent shortstops in Indians history that stand out um, for a plethora of reasons. But I think it, it's a pretty clear two and one. Two is Joel Sewell, part of the Sewell family, uh, had two brothers in the majors and a cousin. He was the guy who came up and took over. He was a rookie that year for Ray Chapman. Interesting player. Uh, I think a lot of current baseball fans would love him. He holds the record for the lowest strikeout rate in Major League history. He only struck out once every 62 and a half at bats. And he has the most consecutive games without a strikeout. He won 115 games without striking out. Uh, those are from Wikipedia. But he came up with the Cleveland Indians and was just a, a fantastic player who, you know, on top of the strikeout thing, uh, you know, he played football at Alabama where he also played baseball. He eventually would go back and become the coach. The, uh, the year the Indians won the World Series in 1920, that was the year he debuted. That was, you know, as we mentioned, when... Chapman passed. He uh, he was famous for his bat. He only used one bat for his career, a 40-ounce bat called Black Betsy, which uh, he kept in shape by rubbing with a Coke bottle and seasoning with chewing tobacco. And eventually he did end up making his way to New York. You know, this is kind of a, a different era of things. The Indians, uh, you know, I'm always kind of curious how they worked out the L's to, uh, to get players. He went to New York as a free agent. Now, this was kind of when free agency wasn't so much a thing, I thought. You know, 1930s, not my fort when it comes to baseball. Uh, the he, His final year in Cleveland was 289, 374, 371, 745. Uh, again, dead ball era, so he never really hit for power, for power, but, you know, 30 to 40 doubles a year, hit well over 300, so a 289 average was a down year for him. He went to New York and continued to be kind of in the decline, wasn't quite as good at that point, but uh, most of his Hall of Fame career was as a Cleveland Indian. And is there anyone really left who wonders who number one is? I mean, it's got to be Lou Boudreaux, right? And one can make a case that he should also be the manager of the Indians. When you look at the Cleveland Indians, their winningest manager is Lou Boudreaux, 728, 649 for a 529 uh, win-loss he he's all over the record books highest war for a position player in a single season Lou Boudreaux 1948 uh his highest offensive year also of course 1948 highest defensive value 1943 as a shortstop he also is in the top 10 for his 47 and 48 seasons defensively uh did it with the glove did it with the bat he was essentially Lindor before Lindor that was Lou Boudreaux uh just one of those guys, heart and soul, uh, any all-time Indians team, he is somewhere on it. An MVP, uh, eight-time All-Star, Hall of Famer, won a batting t- title. He was a uh, Major League Player of the Year. He debuted in 38. Uh, kind of an interesting story. He was at uh, University of Illinois, uh, where at the time the Indians general manager, Sly... Sai Slapnicka paid him money to agree to play for the Indians when he graduated. This is before the draft. And he was ruled ineligible to play in the Big Ten. So instead he played professional basketball uh, in the NBA with the Hammond Caesar All-Stars of the National Basketball League that year. And finished out his Bachelor's of Science. 
and then went to uh, to go play. And he was an assistant coach on the basketball team there. Was a, was a really uh, great player for Illinois. But he would then go to the Indians uh, while he was playing in 38, make a, a small debut. He was a third baseman in college. The Indians had Ken Kelter, who we'll talk about on the third base show. Moved to short, and that's all they wrote. Um, he essentially just, like I said, he, he, in some respects, rewrote the Indians' books uh, for records and performance. And we talked about some of those advanced numbers, but uh, eight-time All-Star, won a batting title, player of the year, was part of the 48 World Series team. But it's more than just the offense. Uh, little known fact, he created the infield shift uh, because, you know, I, I was reading about the Boudreaux shift is what they called it, and he kind of brought it out against Ted Williams. So uh, you're talking about someone very much ahead of his time, uh, did coaching, did broadcasting, did all sorts of things, and was just a really smart guy. Should be one of, like, the pillars. If you're making an Indian's Mount Rushmore, Lou Boudreaux has to be on it, in my opinion. Uh, I think it's a pretty easy case. I mean, Joe Sewell is amazing. Lindor is on his way to a Hall of Fame career. Ray Chapman is more known for tragedy, but was an awesome player. And Vizquel, you know, is going to be one of those hotly debated Hall of Famer uh, candidates for a while. But I don't think there's anyone out there really who has a strong point. Um, from a personal point of view, I never got to know my grandfather. But when I got into the baseball, my grandmother would tell me the stories that uh, Lou Boudreaux was my grandfather's favorite player and that but she didn't understand that because he was always yelling my grandfather at Lou Boudreaux as he would listen to games and just yell and yell <laughs> specifically at him and one day my grandmother thought somebody had died and she came home and it was that the Indians had released Boudreaux and my grandfather you know made that statement and she goes but you all you did was yell at him and he goes but he was my favorite player um, you know, it was something along those lines, and uh, it was just from my perspective of, of not knowing my grandfather, but uh, getting to hear about him and and hear the stories that you know this was the guy. You know, he would he never missed a game, listened to every game on the radio, and this was his his love, but also hate player. He loved him so much that you know, and as good as Lou Boudreaux was, I think you kind of back then would have expected him to do everything, just like you kind of now expect Lindor to be able to do everything, you know, just these complete guys who are utterly some of the best in the game. And it is kind of humorous that the Indians essentially uh, cheated to acquire him, paid him money under pocket when he should have, you know, still been eligible to play college baseball. He lost his college baseball eligibility because the Indians cheated to get him. And then the Indians already had a third baseman. So he was forced to shift positions and by shifting positions became one of the best defensive shortstops in Indians history, maybe the best defensive shortstop, honestly, in Indians history when you look at the numbers. He led AL shortstops in fielding eight times. He holds the MLB record for most uh, for hitting the most consecutive doubles in a game. He, uh, he won the batting title in 44, led the league in doubles in 41, 44, and 47. Uh, just a special talent. Lou Boudreau, all-time Indian, all-time great. We now are down to third, center, and second. Uh, next up will be third, which is another really deep field. But And there's definitely some debate at the top. I will say with second and center, there really aren't any debates at those two positions either. So maybe we'll save third, since it's the only one where you can really make a, a case for a few players. 
I want to thank everyone for all they're doing, all the questions, reading, reviewing, interactions. Uh, it's all fantastic. You are helping keep this podcast alive and growing. And as always, go tribe. <laughs>